sometimes when I read scripture, I'm reminded of songs. And um, with this text, as I was reading throughout it this week, I was reminded of the third verse of a Christmas carol. Now, often when we sing hymns and carols in the church, we like to skip the third verse. Do you know why this is? Because sometimes the third verse of a hymn or a carol is quite depressing. This is true. If you happen to look at at hymns, some of the headiest, deepest theological stuff happens in the third verse. There's fun stuff to sing in one and two and in four. But in verse three, sometimes you have to deal with the reality of life in this world. And the hymn that came to my mind was it came upon a midnight clear. Do you happen to remember the third verse of it came upon a midnight clear? Perhaps we haven't sung it in a while and you've forgotten it. If you will, open your hymnals to number 218. Choir, you do this too. Number 218. You'll see there, in the midst of this beautiful song of hope, about a world, the world in which Christ enters into a very clear picture of the world all around him. Edmund Sears in 1849 wrote, And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Those are not Christmassy words to sing, are they? But they're the reality of the world in which we live, aren't they? Sometimes we are crushed underneath the weights of life. Sometimes we are bent by the pain and the struggles of this world. Look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Come, excuse me, oh rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. The message of Christ's entry into this world is proclaimed in the midst of pain and heartache and strife. Have you ever felt like you've been beneath life's crushing load, like the world has been stacked against you? Have you ever suffered under the weight of life or suffered in silence and loneliness? If you put down your hymnals and you fast forward 117 years to another songwriter by the name of Paul McCartney, you remember that he once looked out his window at a world, at the world and wrote the following words. Ah, look at all the lonely people. All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Eleanor Rigby was written in 1966, but its words speak to the very same truth we find in Edmund Sears' Christmas Carol. It came upon the midnight clear. Sometimes we are crushed by the loneliness and the emptiness and the weight of life. Have you noticed how lonely our world can be? Maybe you felt it from time to time that even though you and I are connected by our cell phones and our email accounts and our social media profiles, that this world is still a very lonely place. The text you heard this morning is a text about a woman who must have felt the same deep sense of loneliness that we all feel. Not only that, she must have felt the crushing weight of life bearing down on her as she she sat down at Jacob's well outside the city of Sychar. 
Now, we know a little about this woman who meets Jesus at Jacob's well. She's a Samaritan, and as a Samaritan, she would have been an outcast from Jewish temple culture. She, like her Samaritan kinfolk, were considered to be less than dogs to the Jews because they had intermarried with other races during the Jewish exile and had actively opposed the Jewish rebuilding efforts during the return from Babylonian captivity. But an even bigger dispute was out there. It was the fact that the Jews and the Samaritans disagreed about just where the worship of God should take place. Jews worshipped on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim, a high and holy place. This division was so great between these two groups that for Jews, if they happened to be traveling north, they would go miles and miles and miles out of their way just to avoid having to walk on Samaritan soil. These people hated each other, which makes Jesus' encounter with this woman crushed by the weight of life surprising. Even more surprising is the fact that Jesus even talked to her. During this time and in this culture, men and women didn't associate. It was improper. And to do so might have suggested that something improper was going on. So Jesus really is going out on a limb here in speaking to this woman at the well. But wait, there's even more, right? We know about this woman, don't we? This woman, she has had five husbands, five times she's either been widowed or divorced or abandoned, likely because she was infertile or perhaps too uppity. The passage, it doesn't tell us why she's had five husbands in her past, but she sits at this well, Jacob's well, crushed by the brokenness of her life, the brokenness of the situation. So what does Jesus have to gain by speaking to a woman like this? Why would he break all of the rules and all of the conventions of his day to reach out to a woman like her? What could he possibly have to gain from her? Quite simply, nothing. And that woman, she knew it. This woman that Jesus meets at Jacob's well, a place that's supposed to bring peace and sustenance and remind us of hope. She's been leaving this well day after day, emptier and emptier, thirstier and thirstier. She knew just how despised her people were. She knew just what her place in society was. And she knew what it was like to live in broken relationship after broken relationship, heartache after heartache. But what's remarkable about Jesus is he meets this woman right where she is. In the midst of all of her pain, in the midst of all of her brokenness, we see that Jesus does just what Jesus always does. He meets people and offers them the opportunity to come close to God. 
Jesus in the Gospels consistently offers people just like this woman who were on the margins of society the opportunity to come closest to God. The last really do become first in the Gospels and the first become last. And sometimes it seems like Jesus would rather hang out with lepers and losers and liars and the lame than rather be around good temple-going folk. I think that's because people like the Samaritan woman are very real. They're not trying to dress up for anybody or pretend to be anybody that they're not. We know that she knew just where she was. Because when Jesus mentions her particular situation, she's quick. She's quick to change the subject. But nevertheless, Jesus makes an offer to this woman, an incredible offer, an offer of eternal life, of living water that will well up into everlasting life. And Jesus chooses to trust this woman with a very important fact, something that Jesus hasn't told anybody else, even his closest disciples up until this point in John's gospel. He tells her, this woman who's crushed under the weight of life, that the Messiah, the one that she and all of her people have been waiting for, has arrived. That he's the one they've been waiting for. And he tells her that what he offers is an opportunity to receive the life-giving grace of God. Now, I don't want to assume anything this morning, but I bet a lot of us in this room have felt like that Samaritan woman. A lot of us have felt like the whole world is against us, like nobody cares about us, like the deck is stacked against us. I think it's a human thing to feel this way from time to time, to feel lonely or lost or left behind, to be crushed under the weight of life. This is the human condition. The amazing thing about this story is the way that Jesus comes to meet this woman right where she's at. And it shows us that God's love and God's grace is available to us no matter where we've been, no matter who we're related to or what we happen to have done. If you're feeling like the world is against you, Jesus is waiting for an opportunity to show you a way forward. Jesus is waiting for the opportunity to offer you hope and water that will quench your thirst for meaning and for purpose in this life. Jesus, he's the one you've been waiting for. He's the one we've all been waiting for. He's the Messiah who's come to set us free so that we might take hold of life that truly is life. In the same way that Jesus came to meet this woman at the well, he's come to meet you. And he's come to meet me. Her story is our story. And it's a story that should compel us to take God's love outside of the walls of the church. It should compel us to break the rules and the norms and the standards and the conventions of our time. To share God's love with the broken and the lost and the marginalized all around us. John, throughout his gospel, emphasizes the fact that God put on flesh and lived among us full of grace 
and truth. And it's grace and truth that set this woman free. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, it's grace and truth that have set you free. One of the interesting things about this story is what this woman does after her encounter with Jesus. You see, the text you heard read is not the end of the story of the woman at the well. In fact, we stop right in the middle of the story. It continues on into verse 42. Jesus, he meets this woman, this marginalized, lonely, ostracized woman crushed beneath the weight of life. He meets her where she is, offers her eternal life, and she does something. Do you know what she does? The scriptures say that she leaves her water jar. Remember, she's come out to the well to get water for her family and to carry it back, or maybe to her fifth husband, who's really not her fifth husband. The scriptures say that she leaves that jar and she goes back to her village. She leaves behind her hurt. She leaves behind her pain. She leaves behind her past. She lets go of the things that are crushing her. She leaves it behind so that she can live a new and different life and share with others what God has done for her. And because of her willingness to share what God has done for her, because of her willingness to share God's grace and God's truth with others, a whole town comes to know Jesus Christ as Messiah and believes in Him. Ah, look at all the lonely people. I wonder what holds us back from reaching out to them and from living into the future that God has prepared for us. What are the jars? that we're walking around with that we need to leave behind so that we can run and tell others about the grace and the truth that we've experienced in God. What do we need to leave behind today to meet the marginalized, to meet the lost, to meet the hurting, to meet the lonely, to meet those who are crushed beneath life's heavy load? with the grace and love of God. For some of us, it is the hurt and pain of our past. For some of us, it's the memory of a broken relationship. For others of us, it's the rules that we've erected and we've established to protect us and keep us safe from all those lonely people. Perhaps today, as we come to the table of God's grace to receive nourishment and to receive life, perhaps today, you can leave your jars here at the altar and run back to the places that you're from to tell the world of the grace and the truth and the life you've received from the one who is the Messiah, 
the one who is the Christ, Jesus. He is the one who meets us in our loneliness, in our brokenness, in our hurts and our pains and offers us living water, new life, and a new family. He's the one who calls us to leave our jars behind and to tell the world about what we've received through him.